This is Agents Influence Podcast. There's a phrase called social inflation. Generally, it's defined as society believes it deserves more than what it's getting from corporations or just from general culture. And Warren Buffett, he came up with this in 1975, letter to the shareholders. And he said, we're seeing increased claims with our insurance business because of social inflation. But I like to actually think about it larger than insurance. How does it apply right now? This is not a political view. It's literally a societal shift. We've just gone through a period where the federal government paid out lots of money and insurance didn't. That is going to change dynamics and how people view things going forward. I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently, change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Agents Influence Podcast, Conversations with Jason Cass. That's me. And uh, today we have a guest on that we've had before. I was just telling them back, I guess, in the green room that uh, it was amazing that I think when we did this uh, two, maybe three years ago, I can't remember, it seemed like that he may have been ahead of the curve um, because I think there was a lot of people that were like, wow, I can see how that would be valuable, but I don't know how that works in my agency. And now, um, just you loyal listeners to bring you up, I, the reason why I reached out to Chris um, was because he, he, there was a conversation that was going on inside of the mastermind and someone was needing some policy checking done and was needing somebody to be, uh, is he, there's, there's got to be some kind of program that looks through the policies and checks it and does this and that. And for the life of me, I couldn't remember it. I was just telling this to Chris. I could not remember who it was. And I knew I had. And then finally, a couple of my loyal listeners who are also mastermind members popped in and were like, hey, Jason, it was risk genius. And I'm like, yeah. So that prompted me to immediately reach out to you. And here we are, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Reminding people uh, that you guys can go back and you can listen to that podcast. Do you remember when it was? Was it 2017, 2018? Do you have any idea, Chris? I don't have any. I I have no idea. I think it's actually on our website too, but um, it was a couple years ago. Yeah, it was a couple years ago. Anyways, in the meantime, are you an iPhone or you a Droid user? Uh, Still use an iPhone. Still Still use an iPhone. iPhone. We haven't been able to convince you. What's the last app you downloaded? Uh, What is the last app I downloaded? Uh, Looking. Oh, this is a good one. Five O radio so that I could listen to a police scanner as people were rioting in Kansas city. I bet you police scanner downloads are, are huge right now. Yeah. I had never thought of that, but that makes sense. Yeah. And you're out of KC. Is that right? Yeah. In Kansas city. That's right. Wow. That's, that's nice. That's nice. There's, um, there's another thing that has been, um, big on my mind, big on my heart lately is the, uh, I talked about it in the last podcast with Jeff. She is the, uh, urban farmers. And they're they're there in Kansas City. It's where they yeah. actually started, and they are actually going nationwide. And it is a uh, it is a phenomenal program. It's something that I'm trying to figure out how I can get involved in. Not this year, but I'm, I need to work into it. Yep. Um, but what they do is is they take over um, neighborhoods that are run down, dilapidated, I guess you could say, and they come in. And it's some some white dudes, you know, some some dudes, they come in, they're like normal, like you and I, and they come in there and they bulldoze these houses and then they'll create these gardens, like um, like literally gardens where they're mm-hmm. growing vegetables and all this. 
And then they use people from the community to teach how to maintain these gardens, right? And then they can yeah. use these gardens to eat off of. I mean, it's not like it's that bad where they're starving, but yeah. it's nice, fresh, uh, wholesome uh, food for them. But then um, they now, these gardens are getting so big across Kansas City in these areas that they're now realizing like, wow, we need a lot of water. Yeah. Well, what's amazing is, is they thought, okay, we could do this and this and this and get water. Mm-hmm. But they thought, wait a minute, we also need electricity. So they put up these uh, solar power, uh, uh, the solar panels. power, the panels, thank you. Yep. And they use that to build the electricity, but they also collect the rainwater that hits those and comes down. They've created a gutter system that brings in, I don't know. 50 gallons of, of water a week or something like that is what that brings in. And then they're able to use that not only with the electricity, but also use the water then to keep growing the, uh, the, the, the gardens. And it's really, really, it's a really, really successful thing. I mean, taking people off the streets with drug problems and, and giving them a, a sense of worth, teaching them how to do something constructive. Uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a really, really uh, good situation anyway. So when, sorry to go off the rails oh, there, okay. but when you said Kansas city, because they are expanding now into many other towns. I found out about them through another another city they were in and then started researching them and found that their roots go back to Kansas City. So interesting. Interesting. Very, very, very cool. That stuff is the reason what gets me up in the morning and makes me go about causes and about change. Not policy checking? Not policy checking? No. But policy checking is part of that, believe it or not. It's kind of important, right? It's what we sell. Do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Uh, so I've converted. I used to hate to lose. I used to be fear-driven, and I think that's a very bad position to be in. So now I love to win. I try to enjoy the moment more and be there for the win. It's interesting you say fear-driven because I've heard a very good similar thing like that that basically says negativity, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. If you love to win, that's a positive thing. If you hate to lose, you're thinking, eh, you know. So I can see both ways, but I like that. I do, yep. I do like that. Um, skill or luck? What is, uh, if you could pick one of the two to botch you where you are today, what would you say? It's skill or luck? Oh, I, I think it's a combination of both. Um, I, I don't think it's fair to say one or the other. So I'm going to hedge because there's definitely an element of luck, right? I was just born into a situation where I'm able to do what I would do and have people supporting me. That is purely luck. But then you have to go and execute. So skills required too. Right. That is, that is actually, you got to execute. At the end of the day, you got to execute, you know? Yeah. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, you got to buy the ticket, the lottery ticket, right? You got to take the shot. You got to take the shot. You got to take the shot. Michael Jordan's yeah. not who he is if he doesn't take the shot, right? We are, this is just like a startup uh, trite podcast right now where we're just memes all over the place, right? Oh, dude, dude. Hey, it's amazing. Dude, hey. the loyal, loyal listeners what's up, know what's up, dude. That's <laughs> why, why they hit play. Um, okay. they, I mean, they, they love me, but Chris, they found out you were on, dude. They knew it was going to oh, be electric. They knew it was going to be dynamic. Chris, where are you at right now? I'm, I, I, my loyal listeners know I can see you, but it's not a video. Are you in your garage right now? I am literally in my garage. So okay. my, my office is up next to my kid's bedroom, and it's way too loud. Like, <laughs> and you can see I'm wearing a hat right now. So I was just right before I got on here, I was on a call in London, and I was so nervous to put on the camera because, like, you know, the British people are all perfectly dressed and like they have their uh-huh. accents that are amazing. And I show up in my Arthur Bryant's barbecue <laughs> hat, just rolled out of bed. So yeah, that's my life. And for the history of barbecue comes back to Kansas city again. See, right here, here we come back to KC. 
all of a sudden there's people across America that are saying, I think I need to visit this place called Kansas City. And you should, because I think they just won the Super Bowl, too. Oh, My yeah. We have goodness. Patrick Mahomes, man. That's, that's that part about this city. That dude is that dude is he's it. Him and Andy Reid. Now, you yeah. got to give some credit. Andy Reid always has been good. And he's just a likable guy. You know what I mean? Even when you yep. hate him, you like him. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? He's just a good guy. I don't know but, anyone uh, that hates Andy Reid. Nobody hates no. Andy Reid. Oh, even if he makes you mad. If you like him and he makes you mad during a game, you still love him, right? Because yeah. you're just like, all right, dude. Because he's so good. And when he was with the Eagles, it blew my mind that he went to Kansas City. But, yeah. boy, what a pickup that was. It was a smart move on both sides for that. Absolutely. Chris, take us back to high school. Take us back to college. Bring us forward to where you are now, brother. Uh, so high school uh, was in Overland Park, right where I'm at right now. Um, I don't know what I did. I played sports and wasn't really interested in much stuff other than sports and, you know, reading nerdy sci-fi books. Um, college, I went and did political science, thought I wanted to be a uh, constitutional law professor that talked about, you know, money in politics. Wow. And I, I quickly realized that's called a lobbyist. <laughs> and so uh, ended up going, yeah, it got better. Then I went and did, I practiced surety law for five years. You know, have you My ever sold? Yeah. Goodness. Isn't that amazing? Geek, dude. I know. So I did surety bonds. And then I was like, well, let me tell you something. I'm going to take artificial intelligence and apply it to these surety bonds and these insurance policies. So I just keep doubling down on being an insurance nerd, it actually works out really well because there's a lot of insurance nerds out there. And so I just try to be the nerdiest nerd of all nerds. That's and it. we are cool. We are cool nerds, I would like to uh, say. Um, what's amazing is, is how we can use, isn't it? How old are you, Chris? Uh, 40. 40. Okay, I'm 41. It's funny, dude. When we were 25, 30 years ago, when you were called a nerd or a geek, that was something that like that alienated you from a lot of people, yep. you know? Today, it alienates you from a lot of people to be the leader. Interesting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where, where it used to bring us to the back, now it brings us to the front because people are realizing, hey, I need geeks, right? Computers yeah. have probably brought a lot of that, right? Like oh, you yeah. realize that your life depends on geeks so much that all of a sudden you have to be around a bunch of geeks to fix your computer. And you start to realize like, hey, these guys and gals are really smart, right? They have an energy and a passion for what they do. And it starts to let you realize that some of the most successful people, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, just name them. They were all geeks. You know, Warren Buffett, they were all geeks. And I'm not just trying to put a, a price on um, on just money, right? Now, I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying to say successfully minded people. We all knew, our mom and dads told us that that the uh, the jocks and the people who were the cool people would flip burgers and it was the smart people that you wanted to actually be with. And you know what? Mom was right, you know? Yeah. I, so. I I have a nine-year-old and, you know, I'm trying to get him to play soccer and baseball outside. And he's sitting reading his books and working on math problems. And I, I want to be like, get outside and play sports. But at the same time, it's like, no, that's good. Keep doing that because that's what you're going to end up doing anyway. So, yeah. Sports um, is good for competition and for raising kids. Yeah. A question for you. Have you ever tried to teach yourself to code? Um, like, I have code? actually. I gave it a terrible, um, I gave it a terrible uh, try. Okay. But yep. I did try. I can't remember. It was called uh, Code. God, I can't remember Code, the name of it. Code Academy. Code Academy. Yes, that's what I used. And this was yeah. like six, seven years ago when it first came out. Yeah, and maybe no longer than that. And I liked it, and I got the premise of it. Um, I don't know if I had the patience, but yes. Yeah, I did the exact same thing. Code. I actually legitimately used Code Academy too, and so 
I have a underlying suspicion, and this is the first time I ever thought of this, that lots of uh, kind of professionals like you and I that don't code have tried, right? Because we all understood the importance of it. And we're like, oh, I'll go figure that out. And then we got into it. We we're like, wait a second. That's hard. Let's just figure out how to kind of leverage this stuff instead. Correct. Correct. So what I did with Code Academy is because I couldn't get through a lot of the stuff because I had to, you know, code, right? Mm-hmm. And my my patience doesn't go there. Yeah. So I would start reading what the next chapters were about because when I could, I didn't know how to do it, but I knew the basis of how it was being done. Then I just went to Upwork or Fiverr and then hired somebody and said, I needed to do this, this, and this, and this. Cool. I, think it, I think it had to do with the same thing. It's very, um, uh, it's very similar to anything that we would do, like plumbing, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can do plumbing. I mean, I guess I could figure it out if I wanted to. Um, but dude, like I make too much money doing other things. Yep. And then when you look at how much that costs, coding you can make a crap load of money in that, but I didn't see myself being, I saw that as being somebody that I would always hire out. Um, <laughs> now I tried to get my son to do Code Academy. No, he's my oldest and come to find out that's not him anyway. So when I was yep. trying, when he was younger, I, I'm now my, my 15 year old, I think I could probably get him to do it, but he's kind of like dad, he bounces all over the place. So yep. um, it's kind of tough, but yeah, that's great that you use Code Academy and anybody out there, if you want your kid to learn code, um, Code Academy is something that is really, really good um, and teaches your kids from the ground up uh, how to do it. And, and Chad, or, or, I'm sorry, Chris, Chris here is a, is, a, is a great example of that. So that's great. Okay, dude, so you're doing a, you're doing um, surety. Surety litigation. Litigation. It's yep. so boring. I couldn't even put the two words together. And you decided that um, you're going to do this artificial intelligence. Like there's a lot of work that's going on, right? So before yep. artificial intelligence, before yep. that, right yep. before that, what did your job look like? So yeah, there was actually an interim period there. So I went from doing surety litigation and I said to myself, these surety documents that I get on every case are a complete mess. So initially rolled out to do surety claim document management. Ooh. Yeah. But the key there was we, we learned to build document management software, right? So getting documents to pop up and storing them and archiving them and security around all that. And so we did actually that for uh, two or three years, three years, 2012 to 2014. And so while we were doing that, then a carrier contacted us and said, hey, we like your software. Could we use this to do policy review and policy checking? So then we were like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Um, and I started calling around actually to different people, including some broker friends here in Kansas City. And I was like, tell me about policy checking. And I just heard these like insane horror stories. There was one woman who is really super technical, like understands technology. She actually works at an insure tech now. She's like, here's how I review policies. I pull out an X-Acto knife and a policy and I cut them up into clauses and I move them around on my desk. Oh my goodness. And there's another uh, woman I talked to and I said, how do you do policy checking? And she goes, I go in on the weekend to my office and someone else comes in with me and I read the document out loud. And the second person sits there and redlines the document. And I was like, what is going on? This is do you know what those people need? Those people need a geek, right? And then all of a sudden Chris just walked yep. into their life. And here we are. So, yep, that's exactly Dude. right. Wow. God. And you know what? There's people listening to this right now going, I do that. Yep. Someone get this guy on the phone right now, right? 
And that's what we're here for. Chris is not a sponsor of AI. Chris does not pay me to be on here. Chris is not paying me if you buy his product. Uh, I just know Chris from past reference. As I told you, there was conversations going on. If we're thinking about it in the mastermind, you're thinking about it out there, loyal listeners. And that's why we brought Chris on. Just as a little disclaimer there, I want to make it known. And Chris, you need to come to Brainshare, dude. Yeah, I actually, I follow your stuff and have been, dude, me information. No, you you need to come. It's invite only. And so you, you need to come to, uh, to brain share and, um, yeah, I need to make sure that I get you on the list. Cause I want you to come to brain share. Cause I think there's some things that you could also bring to the table that, um, would be very, very helpful. Now it is still going on on October. Uh, well, can't even remember the dates now, uh, because it's yeah. been, it's 25th, 26th, 27th. If anybody else wants to check it out also, I am telling you right now, I still am taking registrations. I have to let the hotel know by August 1st. Uh, you can go to AIBrainShare.com, AIBrainShare.com, and you can get a reservation code out there. And I will um, investigate you, I guess I should say, research you, find out if you qualify, and then we'll bring you on. Uh, now, that was for everybody else, Chris. That wasn't for you. Uh, but anyways, so – so um. So what does this look like, though? Now they said, okay, we need this. I'm doing all this. And then you're like, okay, we can do that. But holy shit, that's going to be a lot of coding and a lot of work on our side. No? What was your thoughts? No, I'm shaking my head because, like, it has been really messy, to be totally honest with you. Because Uh so the first time we started trying to do this, right, we built, uh, I call them algorithms. We built algorithms that understood uh, general liability policies. So the idea was somebody would upload the policy and there'd be a checklist of clauses they need to review and they click on those on the right hand side and the document just goes to that section and they can say good bad good bad do their thing so i mean i did not as i said i was a surety lawyer so i was not necessarily an insurance expert when we first started at this right so i'll just remember i always remember the first customer came in or prospect really first prospect comes in the first users come in and they just start uploading manuscript property policies and i opened the first document that was not hitting at all on these algorithms we created i'm like what the hell is this what is a what what is going what is a property coverage like what is all this stuff i didn't know what i was doing i didn't know there was a difference right. between property policies and casualty policies or gl and dno right. like just like ah oh, we'll create this for gl and we'll be good and somebody on the phone i can't i wish i could go back and find this person I just remember that user, right? I called them and they're like, yeah, no, property policies are different than GL policies, you dumb-dumb. I added the dumb-dumb part. And so that started a five-year process to figure out how to continually add different lines of business for the thousands of carriers that are out there, the major variations that can exist across carriers, and still be able to find the information very quickly, very accurately. Um, it's been painful. It, without a doubt, it's been painful. It's been painful, but it opened up a whole new world. You realized all of a sudden, like, oh, there's a lot of policies out there, and all of them have forms, and all yep. of them need to be checked. And all of a sudden, you just re- you witnessed the possibility, and then it got messy. And then you 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 taught. I mean, it, it is is it still messy? I mean, or has AI made that a, a lot cleaner instance? Let's say it this way. How's it different today than it was two years ago, yeah. let's say, when you were on the podcast? Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, I can actually give you a very specific example. So it is still messy, but it also works. And I mean still messy because if we bring, you know, 
there's different, we found there's a million use cases for our software. So if it's not the right use case, we just have to say, no, thank you. Um, but gotcha. here's an example of where we're like, we're going through probably the greatest coverage crisis in the history of insurance. Wow. So COVID-19, right? Right. Because everyone's trying to figure out, do we cover for COVID-19 business interruption shutdowns or do we not? Right. And there's lots of fights going on about this and it's going to be a lot of litigation. And so when that happened, I reached out to one of our one of our key carrier customers and I said to them, hey, um, we figured out how to go through policies and help you figure out if you have covered COVID-19 or not and business interruptions around it. Can we help you? And they said, oh, no, we're good. We're good. We did that two weeks ago with your software. It took us an hour. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, that's exactly why we created this software. That's awesome. Hurts my feelings a little bit because uh, I want to do this with you, but cool. So like that is awesome, wow. right? That's that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. So the, I mean, did anybody out there find that there was actually COVID coverage in any of those things? It's well, there's definitely it's in a, it's evolving right now. So mm-hmm. it depends on I mean, carrier specific. It's jurisdiction specific. Um, there's 400 lawsuits ongoing as of right now around whether or not there was coverage for COVID-19. Um, wow. There was a I think AXA just announced that they or AXA just lost a case in France that where the, the court said you have to pay for business interruption. That's France. And that's not the United States. So it's not dispositive. We don't know if that will apply here. Um, there are class action lawsuits being filed in the United States around this. So um, it's going to be a major litigation event. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. And um, and I, I think, have you heard of any carriers who are putting together products um, that that to deliver saying, hey, if this virus happens again or something, will provide coverage to you, something like a Wimbledon or something had. You heard anything um, about that? Yeah, there's been, so there's a one group called, I believe, Pool Re. It's a reinsurance group in London who is bringing together a lot of stakeholders to try and create kind of a coverage for pandemics. But it's really tricky, right? Because, you know, the estimates are uh, just small businesses that were shut down each month it would have cost $200 billion, 200 billion. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 200 million, 200 billion. Eh, what's it? No, what's a billion. Million? Well, billion. think about it. Think about it. The, the payroll protection, the that's first true. one was 300 million. Yep. The second one was 350. And I think they still have like 75. So about, that would be right. About probably 200 billion. That, yes. All. So, so the numbers are staggering, right? Like if you have the entire country shut down for a pandemic, insurance was not, insurance doesn't have the dollars to actually back that up, right? Mm-hmm. Like at one year of every business shutdown, I promise you insurance can't pay for that. Right. And so they're actually, you know, the insurers are saying we, we aren't actually equipped to handle this. And so in the United States, what's been introduced in Congress is a, it's called the Pandemic Risk Insurance Act. Right. So it's very similar to the terrorism. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that is moving forward. So it'd be the government basically providing a backstop to carriers that insure for pandemics. So I think seems to be coalescing around that, although there's another alternative out there where the carriers are saying, no, we just want the government to pay for it. So who knows? Right. It's the same thing that happened back in 2001. I was brand new to the industry in 2001 and then yep. 2002. Um you're exactly right. And been doing a lot of legislative work 
Uh, what's amazing is, is when that tria was written, I met the two main writers of the, uh, of the, the act. And it was these two, and they wrote it with a group of about 30 others. Mm-hmm. There was not one person who was over the age of 25. Wow. The two, the two, the two people who wrote it were 25 years old, 25 year old and, and led a staff, yeah. um, just different staff members from different senators and different representatives putting it all together. And I remember thinking to myself at the age, I was 24 and I'm like, wow, I, people my age are writing this stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and it was interesting because once again, I'm going to speak ignorantly here because I, I'm, I haven't followed the, the, the terrorism risk out of the TRIA Act has been renewed a couple of times and maybe it's been changed. But just to give some reference to you guys, your loyal listeners out there, as to how TRIA worked, is it set a, the insurance company said, there's no way we can possibly actually uh, rate for this because we don't know where a terrorist strike would happen and if it would, right? We don't know where a tornado happens, but we know they happen so we can rate against that based on past future um, results. They couldn't do that. So the government said to them, okay, here's the deal. You're on the hook for the first, I think it was a hundred million or a hundred billion. I can't remember, but it was a hundred something. There's three things that have to happen. It has to be declared an act of terrorism by the president of the United States. There has to be a certain amount of damage that has to be done. And then they would, and the backstop was like a hundred million dollars. Well, now it allowed the insurance company to say, okay, we don't know where it's going to happen, but we at least know what our losses would be, Mm -hmm. right? And that allowed Mm -hmm. us to actuarially put a stake in the ground. I think the same thing is going to happen here. I've been saying that for the last month or two. It's, hey, we're on the hook for this much. The insurance companies, I believe, in my opinion, um, if you want to talk about actuarially happening, I mean, goodness gracious, is it ever going to happen again, right? Yeah. But I also think, but I also think that there's been a lot of these things happening every other year. And and so, and we haven't been aware of it. Now we're aware of it. I can see in 2022, another outbreak happens in Africa or the Middle East or China. I can see people freaking out and being like, okay, we're going back and um, to to how it was. And I'll even say just even this winter, we're getting off totally on a topic. I I tell you, I think going back on this winter, I think it's going to be very, very hard to get people to go back in their houses that they try to do a lockdown. We'll talk about that some other time, though. But going back to TRIA, I I think that that's how I think that this is how it's going to work. And I see it as being very lucrative for the insurance companies. Here's I was just talking with a uh, client. They have uh, seven point eight million in um, in in business income and their premium for that is like twenty seven. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's completely wrong. That's completely wrong. The, the this person's business income is 1.25 million. Different client, mm-hmm. 1.25 million, and their business income um, on on covering that is like 3,700 dollars, and that mm-hmm. was a big deal to them. Like they're like, man, you know. And I'm talking about Katrina. I'm talking about the thing that we're going through now, yeah. and and it's just like, and and they're just like, eh. and I'm like thinking, wow, they're still not getting. Like yeah. I wonder. And so I asked him. I said, hey. If this covered viruses, would you buy it if it was covered at the $3,700 or whatever it was? It was around there. And they looked at me and they said, even if I have the viruses, we're not going to take it. We wouldn't take wow. that. I'm just like, wow. I'm thinking, holy crap. Do you know why? Do you know what one of the board members said? If we take that, we probably don't have a stance on getting any federal help. That's not true. And maybe it's true or not, but it's the mentality yeah. that scared me. Yep. Right. It's the yep. mentality of what that the is hell is he thinking about? 
We created these products so that it took the stress off of the private business and public government to be able to spread that risk. We're we're losing that thought, you know? So there's a, yeah, there's a phrase, there's a phrase called social inflation. Have you ever heard of social inflation? No, I haven't. Come on. So uh, what's the Berkshire Hathaway guy's name? Warren Buffett. He came up with this in 1975, letter to the shareholders. And he said at the time, um, basically, we're seeing increased claims with our insurance uh, business because of social inflation. And he generally it's defined as like uh, society uh, believes it deserves more than what it's getting from corporations or from the world or just from general culture. And so they're more willing to litigate and file claims. And so I think it's an interesting topic, but I like to actually think about it larger than insurance. How does it apply like right now? Right. And Mm -hmm. what you just talked about is an example, in my opinion, of social inflation, right? Where you don't necessarily trust you're going to get a payout from an insurance company, like in the example of that kind of uh, board member that you mentioned, and you're expecting the government to make the payment instead, right? And not a political view. This is not a political view. It's like literally a societal shift. Like, and yep. so we've just gone through a period where the federal government paid out lots and lots of money and insurance didn't. That is going to change dynamics and how people view things going forward. And so it's actually something we're studying on the side, Eris Genius, because it's, it's an interesting topic. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, AK Agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. So once again, this is this is this is something I haven't I haven't researched in five to ten years, and the flood program has been renewed. But there is a clause in the flood program that says if you don't have flood insurance, FEMA comes through and pays for it the first time. But if you don't have flood insurance the second time, they don't pay for it. From what I've heard, from what I've heard, every major natural disaster, FEMA has waived that every time. Wow. So it goes back to the point because because no government official wants to be the person that says FEMA they're on TV saying FEMA denied me my claim right yeah, yeah. FEMA paid everybody else but yeah. you know and so it's just like well we'll just pay it yeah. it goes back to um it goes back to when a hurricane happens and they waive the hurricane deductible you yeah. know the government comes in and makes them do that mm-hmm. so it's not only it's not only societal shift in the way they think but also the government. Um, and sometimes corporations allow that in, right? Whenever it comes, you know the old saying: you can't, you can't give, you can't give stuff away and expect to take it back. It, it's a, it's a really, really thing. Here, let me give you an example. In Chicago, the anybody who lives in around Chicago knows that like every one of the interstates is tolls. Okay, like literally almost every one of them. And they were sold back in the seventies that when they created this interstate system in the eighties. That for like a certain amount of time, three years, five years, 10 years, they were going to collect a toll that would pay for the cost of the of the roads. And then they would quit pay, taking the tolls. Yep. Today they're taking the tolls and the tolls are like five dollars. I mean, yep. they are expensive as can be. 
Once you start giving Uncle Sam or once you start giving society money, it's hard to take that away because actually it's real easy. You just cut cut them off. But it's hard because of the backlash that somebody is going to get. And and so it goes into this same thing, social inflation. That is interesting. I've never heard that. And I have read a lot of books on Warren Buffett. So that is good stuff, dude. That is, uh, and I don't know how anybody could say by listening to this podcast that they don't believe in that. I mean, how could you say you don't believe in that? I mean, just listen to the mind shift. If I say to anybody, oh, hey, you need this coverage and this because people are more likely to sue. I've never had one person say, nope, that's not true. People aren't more likely to sue today. Everybody agrees with you, you know? So do you think that that's a problem in America or do you think that's a societal problem in, of the world? Wow, that is a big question. Um, I look at it just from the standpoint of the United States. I actually don't know much about the litigation rates in other countries, to be just totally frank. So yeah, uh, I would I say I, I just view it from the United States' point of view. And yeah, um, yeah. and there's it's, it's a cycle. So my, my big question, though, is like... It, you know, insurance, uh, insurance executives like to point out social inflation when claims are increasing. So the question, though, is, are claims increasing because society has shifted or just, I don't know, or because of something else? It's just like nobody's ever actually studied the underlying factors that create this mm-hmm. increase in claims. So it's not clear if it's just a thing being blamed for increasing claims or if it actually is a shift in society. Could it also be, as I sit here and think, is it is it is it possible that we have an increase in claims because we cover more things today? Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, I'm just now coming to the thing of this. Think of, think of the policy, the auto and home policy. Let's just think about that in the 1950s. I mean, it yeah. covered like three things, hmm. right? It was like fire, wind, and I don't know, an explosion or something. I can't yeah. remember. So it's yeah. like that was it, right? But then we started... We started covering all these things. Erie Insurance, which is one of my favorite insurance companies in the entire world times two, has a committee um, of, of, of officials and agents that every year they look at the claims that occurred mm-hmm. and they look at the ones that happened the most and they try to figure out how they can actuarially cover put those. a premium on that to yep. cover it. Yep. Why? Because it limits the backlash they get when the consumer social inflation thinks it should be covered when it shouldn't be. So rather than just going through that mess, let's try and figure out a way we can get a coverage for it. Well, by doing that, um, Erie Insurance pays 64 places in the policy that they pay coverage that no one else does. Well, that tells me that you're probably beginning to probably have more claims if you provide more coverage. So I don't know, just a thought of that. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm, That is, that is an interesting thing. And you know, sometimes I think people forget the importance of litigation. And forget the importance of tort, right? You're a man of this. This is a man. Of, you know, this is a, a subject of your geeky ass heart. And that is, is that the, this litigation happens to be that it's important, right? Sometimes yep. people forget the importance of litigation. And let me give you a case in point. In 2014, um, Barack Obama decided to open up um, the 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 uh, the talks, the relationship with Cuba. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he did that and he went to like a baseball game there and, you know, met Raul Castro and all kinds of stuff like that, whether you disagree with that or not, that's not the point. That what I'm saying is, is when he went there, he took a bunch of business people with him and those business people stayed there for about two to three weeks. And their whole goal was, is can we do business here? 
Because the problem with it is, is you don't realize it. I didn't realize this until I was listening to these government officials talk about this. If you can't get a fair shake in a court system, a corporation can't make a profit, right? And it can't make a profit because it knows when something goes wrong, it needs to be able to, there needs to be a decision one way or another. And so one of the, the methods and the theories behind why other government officials, including Trump himself, are not so interested. Yes, there's a bunch of of back law, you know, stuff that happened with revolution. But but outside of that, it's very, very tough. Businesses are not making a push to go to Cuba because they know until there's a better legal system there, they're not going to want to go there. How interesting is it? That if they had a good legal system, you would get corporations that want to go there. And when corporations want to go there, that's usually when the government's going to allow it to happen. So, so it's kind of interesting. No, go that's ahead, great. Come on. I, I got another example of that for you that's playing out right now around COVID-19. Um, so a lot of the deaths from COVID-19 have been in nursing homes, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's this push at the legislative level. There's two actually pushes at the legislative level, and they're, they create tension. One is, you know, some states are looking to create an immunity for businesses that open up, including nursing homes, because imagine all these businesses open up, people come in, either workers or uh, consumers, and Mm -hmm. they get sick, maybe from that place, maybe not from that place, but they blame that place that is going to lead to lawsuits, right? So do you create immunity for those businesses versus on the other hand? Um, versus on the other hand, what a terrible phrase. Uh, you have states like California that have created a presumption, uh, legislative presumption, that if a medical worker gets sick and got COVID-19, they got it from the workplace. So that's going to increase worker comp claims, right? And so mm-hmm. there, that's, it's this litigation tension between do we allow litigation to happen um, or do we even support litigation through kind of the workers' comp example? Or do we try to eliminate litigation, eliminate claims by creating this immunity for businesses? And so I I don't know the answer. I just am seeing it play out uh, state by state right now. Yes. And one of the things we've seen in Illinois, I don't know if it's been passed, but there's been a a couple drafts that have come through. And it says in the state of Illinois that, yes, if you you contracted it while you're at work, work comp has to cover, as you're saying. Yep. But one of the things we're seeing here is that it doesn't go against the modification factor. Mm. And I think that's huge for businesses. I mean, if a person is automatically got COVID because they came to work, even though we can't even prove it, and it's very, very tough because we can't do contact tracing in this country. God forbid if Uncle Sam knows where you are when they're trying to make you not die. You know, so we, we have this thing going on. And I think that that is totally unfair for a business owner who is doing every precaution they can, and this person gets it, and now all of a sudden they pay out a $100,000 claim, and that raises their mod. But I also think that the government is, um, I don't think they're doing it to pull the wool over the business's eyes. I just don't think legislators understand that it still increases costs, Mm -hmm. right? It's like you said, you may not increase my multiplier, but you're going to increase my rate by having to take that on as an, as an expense. Yeah, and it just shifts costs from different places, right? If you mm-hmm. allow the claims to proceed, the litigation to proceed, then you are like, if you don't have that requirement of coverage, then you're shifting the cost to the courts to decide. Whereas if you say, no, we're going to have a presumption, you're shifting the cost of the insurers automatically. Right? No. That's all that's going on. You're just deciding where you want to shift the cost for COVID-19. 
And by That's the way, correct. if you if you also shift it to the courts, you're also shifting it to um, the businesses that have to go litigate there and the consumers. Whereas if you shift it, if you have an assumption, then you're shifting it to the insurers. You're shifting it away from the consumers, away from the employees and to the businesses. You know, you're using the word assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, this was something that fascinated me when I was younger in the insurance industry, and it was assumptive liability. Um, we call it what I was taught um, with CIC and specifically inside of um, uh, Illinois is that we have something called assumptive. You tell me I'm wrong here. I, I'm just I'm talking as an insurance okay. agent that we have assumptive liability on things like um, uh, uh, dogs. So if you have a dog, you are in it bites somebody. You automatically are assuming the responsibility. The 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 the, the insurance company is. I mean, they're paying that out. Um, or the in the and the person buying the policy is understanding that. Well, my dog doesn't bite. Well, if it does, you're cut. You're you're in trouble. Uh, a pool. If someone drowns in your pool, yep. you 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 had that risk. We yep. we allow you to have that risk, but we want you to understand that if something happens, you're assumed to be liable already. Is yep. that what assumptive liability is? Uh, it sounds like it. It sounds correct. I don't know specifically, but I, it's a, it, we're almost creating an assumptive liability with this type of legislation we're talking about. So that, that does make yeah, sense to me. That makes sense. Yeah. Like you're automatically assumed as an employer, they had COVID, you're assumed that you're responsible regardless of how it goes. Yep. And I think the assumptive liability does put it off on the insurance company. I also would say that's what insurance companies are there for, but I'm also a business owner and insurance agent who wants to keep those rates down. Um, so it's, it, it, it's, it's neither here nor there. It's, it's pretty wild, man. This is, this is wild stuff. I mean, yep. think about this. Would we be having a lot of these conversations back in 2015, 2010? And when you're trying to figure out how to cover all this stuff and what's covered and what's not covered in the policy you have, that's why you create a risk genius. Yeah, that's exactly right. Are you seeing a lot of, um, are you seeing a lot of virus exclusions getting attached to policies where it wasn't before? Have you seen that yet? I have not. I have not. This is a conversation we had in the mastermind. I have not yet. <laughs> I really have not. And the other thing I didn't see, I did not see, um, what's it called? Uh, binding restrictions on property policies in major cities. Wow. I didn't have anybody say, hey, you can't bind anything in St. Louis. And it's like five, seven miles from here, right? I didn't, I didn't have those companies. I thought for sure we had agents inside the mastermind saying, hey, have you guys ever got anything? There was a, I think I was looking last night, it's like a Stillwater. Maybe that's the city. Maybe that's the insurance company. But they put out a thing saying that they were, uh, that they had, what's it called? I'm, try, I'm trying to think. They had, um, when, when they don't allow you to buy in business, there's like an insurance word. I'm sorry, loyalists. It's early in the morning. I can't get this one out. Um, God dang, it's the stupidest, simplest word in the world. Uh, anyways, they, whenever they're not allowing that, I thought that was interesting, you know, because yeah. you see, you see, you see floods coming in, you know, they'll, they'll stop. Hey, you can't buy business. You know, you see um, different types of things like that, earthquakes, tornadoes. They didn't do it so much with the riots. So I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Hey, anything else that you want to, uh, you want to wrap this up with? Um, I, I think. Anything you want to say? Yeah, I think the thing I would add is, you know, policy checking is going to become even more important going forward because, you know, claims out of all this are going to be an issue, unfortunately, like a lot of time. Well, I think you'll see when carriers get sued for not covering COVID-19, the agent will get brought into it. The broker will get brought into it and the the insured will say, well, you never offered it to me or you didn't tell me that this was excluded. So uh, Mm -hmm. we've seen a couple cases of that coming out. 
So going forward, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on uh, brokers and agents to make sure they check their policies and and advise the customer properly as to what they have. So if you need policy checking, that's something that um, that could be more important going forward. How would they reach out to you? Yeah, so my email is chris at riskgenius.com. Uh, just email me, chris at riskgenius.com. I'm happy just to talk to people about these issues. I can't tell you how many discussions I've had with brokers about communicable disease and virus exclusions. It's literally the nerdiest place in the world, I think, right here where I'm sitting. Um, but yeah, if you have questions, just let me know. Yeah, man. Hey, appreciate your friendship, dude. Appreciate yeah. you being on. We'll bring you back again and uh, hope to see you at BrainShare. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everybody. Thank you very much for being a loyal listener. You know why I bring people on. I do this. I do it for you. That's why I bring people like Chris on. I think we had an interesting conversation for the last 40 minutes. You know that you never get any something, uh, get anything but interesting with Cass. Uh, do appreciate you being a loyal listener. Could not do it without you. Keep in mind, go to Loyal Listener Shirt. That's plural. That's singular. But there's a lot of shirts there, so it should be plural. LoyalListenerShirt.com. Check it out there. Go out there. I have two different types that you can buy. Any of the money that I raise is going into a fund that is going to go to a local for PPE, for protection equipment. And I want to let you know, I know it seems like COVID's not over because no one's talking about it, but it still is an issue. There is still people that are working there that are still at risk, that are working every day inside of hospitals, inside nursing homes, inside of other places where their lives are at risk. I think it's easy once that the um, it's so easy that to let the media control the narrative to create fear. But I think we also need to hold the media responsible and not and not forgetting things that happen. Right. Yep. It's kind of like the um, I, I, I could be wrong in the thing, but the Ebola uh, vaccine from 2017 or 15 or something like that. They actually created a vaccine, but they needed to put it through its last trials and they couldn't get any companies or the government to actually pay for it to be done. So it sat in a freezer down in Houston. And that was because even though a lot of people died from Ebola, it was a year later that they discovered the vaccine and it was over and no one wanted to deal with it. I think it's important that when we and when we had to a hashtag media divides and we get on the media's ass for creating fear and creating division in this country, I think we need to stay on their ass as well and make sure that they stay on these stories so that they actually get finalized. Quit hyping us up and then running away. It's kind of like the person you see on Facebook who drops some crazy post and then they just walk away from it. It's like lighting a match to gas inside of a house and walking away and watching it burn down. There's a little bit of evilness in that, if you ask me. I do what I do. I do it for you. This is Jason Cass with Agents Influence Podcast. Tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Jason Cass. He's Chris. We're out. Are dropped calls and poor voice quality slowing down your business communication? It's time you switch to a solution that keeps the team connected seamlessly. Introducing Lightspeed Voice, your gateway to a revolutionary VoIP system designed to elevate your business communications to the next level. With Lightspeed Voice, you get more than just a reliable connection. You get 
feature-rich system that adapts to your business needs, whether it's video, conferencing, virtual voicemail, or call forwarding. Lightspeed Voice, they've got you covered. They got my agency covered at the Insurance Alliance. Worried about the transition? Don't be. Lightspeed Voice offers a seamless integration, making the switch to our VoIP system a breeze. Our expert support team, that's what they're known for, is here to guide you every step of the way, ensuring a smooth and efficient transition for your business. That's right. But that's not all. Lightspeed Voice is not just a communication tool. It's a strategic investment in your business success. It is. Save on your monthly communication costs while enjoying top-notch service. It's a win-win, and it is. You can put that money somewhere else. Don't let outdated communication systems hold your business back. Upgrade to Lightspeed Voice today and experience the difference. Visit our website or call now to schedule a demo and see firsthand how Lightspeed Voice can transform your business communications. Lightspeed Voice, where every word matters and your business is always in sync. CAS approved.